feel that life is just giving you more than you can handle, please realize that you are not alone. Welcome to Abba Daddy House Girls Speak Out with your hosts, the founders of Abba Daddy House, Myrna Thatcher and Annette Smith. We're here to listen and provide help for you and others. At last, you have a place to speak out and be heard. Now, here are your hosts, Annette and Myrna. Well, hello, everybody. We're back. And I'm back, believe it or not. I wasn't sloughing off while I was gone. I had um, my shoulder separated from the collarbone. And then on Tuesday, I fell and broke the rest of it apart. So I had a good reason for being off. But I'm back. And the thing is, guys, this is Myrna, and um, she doesn't get sick leave. So Yeah, they didn't give me brownie points for, nope. for trying to be an acrobat. <laughs> she should have saw her. <laughs> she didn't acrobat very well. I tried to type walk on the brown cord, but instead I tripped over it. Yeah. So now i got to go see a surgeon. So I might be off some other times, too. I don't know yet. So we hope not. Anyway, we love you guys, and we're glad you guys are listening to us. Right. And we have a special show today because we have a guest that it, that God had lined up for the show because we were struggling with it. We were going to do something altogether different on our show for bullying today. But then God brought the special guest. He's an author of the book that we are writing, that, we, that he wrote, that we were going to do a show from. And it's awesome. I am so excited to do the show, but I'm going to let Myrna introduce the author of the book. Well, it is an awesome pleasure to have Paul Coughlin on our show. He is the author of a whole bunch of books. The book that we were going to take material from is Free Us From Bullying, Real Solutions Beyond Being Nice. And we are also going to take material from the the protectors, which is material for like Sunday school, which we are going to use in February. But and so we just kind of emailed him and said, "Hey, we're just going to use your material just to let you know, because we kind of want to do that to let them know that that's what we're gonna that we're gonna give a heads up." And then God arranged it. And Paul is the founder and president of the Protectors, an official ministry partner of the Association of Christian Schools International, working to reduce adolescent and workplace bullying. Cochlin has helped thousands of children apologize for bullying during his Courage to be Kind presentations. A former newspaper editor, Cochlin's writing has appeared in numerous media outlets, including Fox News, and he has been interviewed by the New York Times, Newsweek, and C-SPAN. And you can also there's connect with him at um, www.theprotectors.org on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. So now, Paul, and welcome to the show. Wait a minute. And wait, you wait. know, I I didn't know Paul until yesterday. And I didn't now either. He's my hero. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, well, you're my heroes as well. So thank you for having me. No problem. So, Paul, what led you on this anti-bullying mission? Yeah, yeah, it was a, a it, I, I called it a conspiracy of good. I, uh, I'd, I'd always been told that I, at least for someone who didn't read a lot at, at that time in my life, that I knew how to write. I was a good writer and a good speaker and uh, was in other work, and I didn't really find it all that fulfilling. And so, you know, ask myself a fundamental question of what can I do with my life? What, what could I do that would, you know, make a difference? in the world, uh, to, uh, to help other people, uh, to bring glory to God. And, 
uh, really settled upon the topic of, of bullying, particularly adolescent bullying, and then looked at that because there were, I didn't want to reinvent the wheel uh, because right. uh, other people had already been doing that. So I, I thought, well, is there, a, is there a lane, is there a place in this complex theater of bullying that someone hasn't really done much work in? And to my real surprise, I found that no one had really addressed it from a faith-based perspective, and which is remarkable because it stems from profound spiritual ailments, um, contempt and stain in particular for other human beings. We are forbidden by God to hold uh, his creation with this, in disdain or contempt. Right. And it answers are highly spiritual as well. So that's really the the genesis of the protectors. More than uh, well, be more than a decade ago, um, in in regard to the work that we do. You know what, Paul? I was bullied, and at home and in school. So bullying goes on in the home too, and it's it's neat that you brought it in as a Christian thing too, because I grew up as a Christian from my childhood, and that's what drew me to your book, is because not too many people bring things like that and a Christian perspective, and so I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, we researched Well, I was bullied that. in the home, too, if that, if, if, um, that, that's important, too. I, I know firsthand. I know firsthand what it's like not to want to live another day. I had a parent and a sibling who just loved to make my life miserable. And not just mm-hmm. once or twice, but a concerted campaign of cruelty. So I know what that does to a person. I know the harm that it does, but I also know the liberation uh, from that as well. Yeah, yeah, pretty cool. Well, because bullying is actually quite common if people would just admit to it. Right. You know what? I think that, that kids wouldn't be bullies if, if parents would look at it and see that maybe it starts in the home. Yes, uh, interesting you say that because I just got off the phone earlier today with the headmaster of a Christian school in uh, New York City where one of the biggest things that they have difficulty with is getting the parents to acknowledge that their child is a bully. They will often fight it to the nail to the child's uh, detriment. Uh, it, you know, obviously no one wants to have their kid to be labeled a bully, but this is really important for people to understand is that people play, kids experiment with bullying behavior the way they experiment with other behavior. It doesn't mean they're going to grow up to be a bully, but we have to recognize early on to hold up the mirror of objectivity to that child's behavior and say, this is what you're actually doing to another human being. And from a faith perspective, we can say that this is honestly forbidden. We are not we are not allowed to treat another human being in such a horrible manner. And, of course, you don't have to be just be a person of faith to realize that it's wrong. I mean, it, our conscience exactly. tells us uh, that it's wrong yeah. as well. Uh, but we really harm our kids when we say, no, my kid is incapable of this behavior. Let me say something really, really, to some people, provocative, but it's true. Every almost every child is capable of bullying behavior, and many kids experiment with it as well. Right, yeah. and we've had parents say, "Oh, it's just a stage they're going through." <laughs> really? Mm. So mm. I think that leads us 
before we get into the difference between, because what you're talking about, the difference between acute and serial bullies, could you share us this in your book? You talk you talk with Frank Peretti. Could you kind of just share Frank's story? I, I will. You know, it is one. I was the editor of a newspaper, and I used to have a talk show uh, on a Christian radio station. So I've interviewed, I'm sure, well over a thousand people. I have to say, it's one of my favorite interviews that I've done. Uh, Frank, as people who may not be aware of, you know, he made uh, Christian fiction very popular with uh, this present darkness, piercing the darkness related uh, books as well. He's a great guy, very smart man, very um, sympathetic uh, guy. Anyway, he was horribly bullied when he was a kid. And I had the chance to interview him, and I asked him some fundamental questions. I asked him, how did bullying affect you then and now? He said, the bullying I experienced didn't make me a stronger person. It made me a wretch. Bullying made Mm. me socially timid during my early adult years. I was afraid I would say the wrong thing, do the wrong thing, and make small blunders. All this scared me to death. I suffered a real lack of resilience. I knew I was being overly sensitive, yet when I recognized it, I couldn't do anything about it. I'd say to myself, don't be so sensitive, and it didn't help. Now, this is the, this part right here. So many of our listeners right now can, um, uh, understand. He said, in gym class, I was maligned and abused. That's just the way it was. It didn't occur to me that I didn't have to put up with it. A gym teacher was the ultimate male, cruel and mean, and the boys picked up on it and wanted uh, to be like him. Then he says, this fear and pain followed me into adulthood. And, I, you know, the, the interview goes on uh, more and more. It's, like I said, it's one of my favorite ones at the beginning of the book. But I bring that up just to point out that there is this myth and misconception that bullying makes us stronger. We, I hear it across the United States, and I hear it more from men than women. And they will say things, that which doesn't kill us makes us stronger. They, they think they're quoting right. the Bible. They're not. That's Frederick Nietzsche, who hated mm-hmm. the Bible, and who also said that man is the cruelest of all beasts. Uh, the Wesley Society uh, followed adults, uh, kids who, uh, who were bullied as adolescents. They followed them into adulthood, asked them what kind of uh, or wanted to find out what kind of people they became. Seven out of ten had difficulty with lasting adult relationships. They specifically struggled with trust issues. They struggled with anger management. We think bullies can't control their anger. That is not true. It's targets who often can't control their anger. But here's the, the really bad part is uh, resentment. They struggled with resentment for most, if not all, of their adult life. And resentment can be the leading negative emotion tethering people to drug and alcohol abuse. Right. Yes. So, what about, um, what? well, I have a question. What would you say to a parent, because that's what you were talking about, a parent who denies that their child is a bully? Well, we can understand. It would try, you would try to lighten the mood of it. I would say to myself, hey, listen, I have three kids, and one of mine bullied. I'm an anti-bullying expert, and I got called into the school. <laughs> and oh, no. one of my kids actually bullied another kid. And, of oh, course, no. that's embarrassing, and it hurts, uh, you know, particularly for me is what I do. And, you know, but I also know that kids experiment with this behavior. Don't take it so, don't take it so hard, but at the same time, you got to take it, you do need to take it serious. 
probably right. will not follow them into adulthood. But if you do nothing about it and you don't help that kid get to the reasons why they're doing it, it could haunt them for the rest of their life. So you are yeah. hurting your child. You're harming their future if you don't take this seriously. Right. So how did you handle that? I As just grab all my kids. My it's probably my most sensitive child, you know, who, oh, wow. who had been bullied, and uh, and had been bullied. I just said, you know, pal, you just can't be doing this to another person. But because he's on the, he, he was taught. I'm not blaming the other kids. He was one of three right. kids who just mm. went after this one kid, and it was a little darkened area in the school. They scared him, uh, but they, I, I helped them. I pointed out, for example, well, why didn't you target one of the more popular kids? I mean, if you're just having fun, why don't you do it with everyone? So I started taking the cards out of his hand just to realize uh-huh. that this was a kid who was lower on the, and make it worse, I was a coach at the school too, right? So I was on the school board and the coach at the oh. same school. And uh, yeah, it hurt. And so um, I said, hey, man, you know, it's, I just got to tell you, it's not an accident that you guys went after someone who's lower on the social ladder mm-hmm. because those are the people who get picked on. And I encouraged them to apologize to him and, and to clearly not do it again. Now, he's on the more sensitive side. And so when your kid is, you know, when you have a more sensitive kid compared to my other, uh, my other son, for example, I mean, you kind of have to be very much more direct with him. Um, it was able to fix, and I think it's a great example of him being an acute bully. It wasn't a chronic bully. He experimented right. with yeah. his behavior. Right. It, it, it wasn't part of his identity, and I exactly. made sure to tell him, this is not your identity. I didn't shame him. I wanted right. him to feel guilt, but I didn't want him to feel shame. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Well, we're going to go to break, and when we come back, we're going to have you explain the difference between an acute bully and a serial bully. So. Great. We'll go to break, and then when we come back, we'll let Paul talk about that. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Look for Annette and Myrna's book, Turning the Curse into a Blessing. A testimony of God's healing power. The book elucidates the journey of how Annette Smith gained healing from living as a child and other people. The book is available through Amazon.com in both paperback and Kindle formats. Anyone who is looking for guidance from God and feeling that life is hopeless should read this book, Turning the Curse into a Blessing, a testimony of God's healing power. Find it today. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Abba Daddy House Incorporated was founded by Myrna Thatcher and Annette Smith. We provide pro bono counseling for those caught in the insurance gap. We also provide basic needs for those who have great difficulty making it from one month to the next. Donations for expanding our business are always appreciated. Remember Philippians 4 verse 3. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel. Visit AbbaDaddyHouse.org. 
It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to Abba Daddy Girls Speak Out. To reach our program today, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to abadaddyhouse7 at gmail.com. Now, back to Myrna and Annette. So we have Paul Coughlin here. He is the founder of The Protectors, uh, anti-bully um, organization, and he's going to talk to us the difference between an acute and serial bully. Yes, yeah, so, uh, you know, parents worry, obviously, that the child will be tagged as a bully, and I've got very good news for uh, parents that are listening to us right now, and that is most kids do not go on to be a, uh, a serial bully, which are about Two, three percent of uh, the U.S. population, maybe a little more than that. Uh, social, uh, a psychopath, for example, or sociopaths, uh, there's great overlap in that kind of uh, behavior and hardcore narcissism as well. Uh, the majority of kids don't go on to be that. Uh, the majority of kids who bully will be an acute bully, and I liken it to uh, when uh, someone in authority, a parent, uh, administrator, teacher, when they shine the truth of light on the behavior of an acute bully, the acute bully changes their behavior. They, you know, they will often think that they were just playing around. For example, we hear this, you know, constantly across the United States where the kids, well, I was just teasing. And, but then you go over the difference between teasing and taunting, for example, and we see, mm-hmm. oh, my goodness. Uh, it was actually taunting that they were doing that, uh, for example, that their sibling, they're bullying their sibling. And, you know, you, you guys have talked about how you pointed out, well, that's, are you being mean to your sibling? And they say, yeah, I guess I'm being mean. Well, that's bullying. But they don't really, they don't really see that until they're enlightened. And then what they normally do is they change their behavior. So they adjust their behavior to the light of truth. A serial bully is a very different uh, ball game, and it's painful. Um, when the light of truth is shown on their behavior, they changed. They change the light of truth. These are the ones that will lie through their teeth. These are the ones who will literally tell you black is white. That's what they need to do. These are the ones who will deny, 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 even if there's videotape, even if there's just condemning information as to their behavior. You know, they don't come clean, and they learn, many, though not all, learn that behavior from their home. They have right. uh, a, a parent who just will never come clean no matter what. And they, these parents usually have a reputation in the community as well, and there's a reason for that. They deserve the reputation. They're actually dangerous human beings. Uh, and the sooner we learn to recognize these people and... Um, uh, to handle them effectively, the better off our lives are going to be. And the sooner we reach that serial bully as a young kid, the sooner we can help them hopefully avoid a life of crime because they are far more likely to commit a felony by their early right. 20s than a non-bully. Mm-hmm. So how do you 
because um, I know in the book you said that when you have programs and the bullies know that you're coming, they'll skip school that day and the parents will support that. Isn't it amazing? They just know the gig's up. Uh, they yeah. don't want their kid to be associated with that. Uh, it, you know, uh, I love the work of John Townsend, for example, right. in the book Boundaries. Uh, I think mm-hmm. it should be required. Re- I, I think every time a person becomes a Christian, they should get a copy of the Bible and Boundaries. <laughs> yep, that's true, the two Bs. <laughs> boundaries. They do. We think that we're supposed to open our lives up to all kinds of abuse, and we think we're being Christian. I, I don't think that's really accurate. Um, anyway, uh, these are the people that there isn't much you can do. There's only so much a, a, a teacher can do. There's only so much a counselor can do and a headmaster. There comes a point right. that these people, uh, sadly, they've got to be sequestered, very much the way we sequester prisoners. Right. So... So how do we get to the parents? Well, I think we get to the parents the way we get to all people. What's in it for me to change? Your child, who let's say they're a serial bully, we've got to hold up the light of truth on a regular basis. I'll give you an example. My oldest son... Uh, was bullying my younger son, and I had uh, I grew up under that horrible regime, and so it is very much on my radar to where I would I would not have that in my home. There's no way I would have that in my home. So um, I sat them both down, and I often regularly said, "What you're doing isn't funny. What you're doing is causing harm to your brother." And you know that there'll come a point where he will stop wanting to be around you, and you two won't have a relationship in the future, and it will be your fault. It won't be his fault. It'll be your fault. I said the way in which you are speaking to him and the way in which you're denying responsibility is exactly how criminals think and behave. This is criminal behavior. Do you want to go on to commit a life of crime later on? Because this is where you're headed if you don't stop. And I just had to do all this early and often, regularly. And I'm very glad to say that not only was I allowed to, uh, was able to stem the behavior, they are best friends uh, to this day, but they wouldn't have been if I hadn't intervened regularly and take the arguments away, well, I'm just having fun. No, it's only funny when both people are laughing. Well, I'm just teasing him. No, you're taunting him. How come you don't treat your friends the same way? So you've mm-hmm. got to start exposing the lies for what they are. And they do need to feel guilt, not shame, but they do need to feel guilt for that behavior. Mm-hmm. Because guilt is designed, it's a true north. It helps us get back to the way God wants us to live. He wants us to live free, and He wants us to live in love. Exactly. I know in the in the book you describe like a, a serial bully will, um, they don't stop bullying, and they... They most of the bullying is verbal and not physical. Some people think, oh, a bully is more physical, but that's not always the case. Is that correct? Oh, that is correct. When they're younger, it tends to be more physical, and then they they move toward a relational aggression, usually with words. Ultimately, around 70% of bullying is going to be verbal, put Mm -hmm. down. Um, innuendos, deliberate lies, humiliation, isolation, terror, threat of further abuse uh, with the words that they use. And, um, it, it, you know, these are, these are tough behaviors to break up, but they can be broken up uh, when, the, uh, when we intervene in, a, uh, in an effective way. That serial bully 
having, well, I just spoke with one yesterday, these school counselors, in regard to a serial bully, what they will say is they've never been able to get one to truly change their ways, but what they do is they ratchet their behavior down just enough to where they don't get expelled. That's what happens. Okay. And right. it is almost inevitable that they have a parent that will not help them in this, uh, in this uh, situation. And by the way, why do bullies bully? Because yeah. they can. That's the number one thing. Exactly. And it's fun. It's pleasurable to control and dominate another human being. And, and it, some people think that a bully doesn't, you know, they do this because they have low self-esteem and they don't feel good about themselves when, in fact, it's just the opposite. It is. I mean, we have been led to believe that people do bad things because they feel badly about themselves. That is more in the realm of a serial target. They're the ones who yes. have anger management problems. They're the ones who feel badly about themselves. They're the ones that lash out and often in a passive-aggressive uh, fashion. Your average bully suffers from the problem of self-love, uh, inordinate self-love, uh, not self-hate. Your average bully thinks they're wonderful, and we know this from um, self-surveys. They've gone into schools and asked the identified bullies, how popular are you? How smart are you relative to your peers? And they almost always mark themselves as bigger, greater, faster, more wonderful, more handsome, more popular than their peers and then how their peers rate them. So they really think they're wonderful. Bullying stems from sustaining contempt. It's believing and acting as if others are inferior to you. Your average bully believes the target deserves to be treated horribly because they are a child of a lesser God. They're just not as important as they are. Very hard person to reach. Yeah, they are. So the good guy usually turns out to be the hero? Well, yes, the good guy in this case would be standing up to the bully. You know, the sooner our kids learn that a bully's bark is worse than their bite, the better off their life is going to be. And that's largely what we're about. A bully's not looking for a fight. A bully wants to overwhelm. And so they go after the kid who either can't or won't push back. Uh, they go after that nice kid. They go after that kid who's been taught to turn the other cheek, which has nothing to do with adolescent bullying. It has to do with a generous spirit when you put it in context in Matthew chapter 5. And so they go after these nice kids, and they do it because they can. And what right. needs to happen is they need someone to stand up for them, and that's what we're about. Okay, and you you brought in the word nice, so we're going to open that up because the nicest doctrine, your book explains that very well. So, um, thank you. Kind of, yeah, it's kind of um, explain that to our listeners very well because they need to know. It this. is, yeah. I think there's really two parts to that. There's the part that um, the faith community has a hard time with, and then there's the part that just culture has a hard time with. For example, let's start with the faith community. One of the greatest things that you could be called in church as a nice person, the, the nicest person you ever met. Well, <laughs> nice uh, is never used in the Bible to describe the character of the Father, Son, or the Holy Spirit. It's not a fruit of the Spirit. And actually, the word is never really even used in uh, the Bible in a, in a uh, good way. Niceness is almost always a knee-jerk reaction to people-pleasing. It is uh, it often very, it's cowardice in disguise in many cases, uh, many times. 
And the reason why we speak in regard to niceness is because niceness will never have enough power, strength, or authority um, to, stand, to stand up to bullying. They just aren't going to do it. A nice person will, you know, a nice people will feel badly. Uh, nice people will wring their hands. They might even cry when they witness bullying. But uh, they won't do anything about it. Uh, we need to be more like that. So we really have to get rid of niceness if we truly want to be light and salt in a very uh, troubled world. Okay. So your phone cut out a little bit on what about Mary and Jesus. Jesus did what for Mary when they she was being bullied? Yeah, you know, uh, the Bible tells us that Mary was being bullied by one of the disciples. The scholars believe right. it was Judas. Imagine that. And, yeah. Uh, and he saw her being bullied, and Jesus just didn't stand there like a passive, cowardice uh, bystander. He right. was courageous, and he went up to her, and he said, leave her alone. Exactly. And that, no, is a spiritual word, and we need to say it more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And because that's what your book says, stand up to them and be courageous. So about the, the turn the other cheek, let, look at that scripture and, and tell us about that one. There is probably no more troubled scripture in the Bible than turn the other cheek. Uh, so much that I've been asked by uh, the largest uh, Christian education association to write an article about it because it has caused so much confusion. Yeah, so uh, in Matthew chapter 5, I believe, Jesus is uh, really correcting a lot of bad thoughts. And um, one of them is this belief that all you really have to do in order to please God is do what the law requires. And so he uses some examples of that, three examples. One is um, that if the man in authority, which would be a, a Roman soldier, asks you to porter their stuff for one mile, go two miles. If someone asks for your shirt, give them your cloak as well. And that, um, and that if someone strikes you, uh, turn to them your left cheek, not just any cheek, your left cheek. So these are all legal things. Um, so by law required to carry one mile, by law you were not required to give up your cloak under, um, uh, in Exodus. You weren't uh, required to do that. And then the third thing is, is that to be slapped on the right cheek was a punishable offense. It's probably due to humiliation. It's an insult to be slapped on the face like that. And so in all those instances, what Jesus is saying is that don't let the law be your final guide as to what's right or wrong. If you're going to be my disciple, I want you to have a generous spirit. And I say generous spirit because that's what he says at the end of chapter 5 in Matthew. He says, uh, give to those who ask. If someone wants to borrow some, let them borrow. So none of this, first of all, none of this is written to children. None of it has to do with abuse. Um, It has to do with other things. So turn the other cheek. If we're telling our child to do that, or in a related thing, if we're telling our kid to just ignore the bully and don't say anything, we think we're giving them the Christian advice. The problem with not saying anything back to a bully is that that can be taken as weakness. And then if they see that as weakness, uh, they are often likely to increase their attacks. We must provide pushback against a, a bully. So how do you, I know that in the, in the book there's a lot about um, courage, and that's what you're talking about, correct? 
It is. We're talking about how do we grow courage on behalf of that that scared little kid. Um, and I see when I walk into schools on a regular basis, that body language that that scared kid has, they're all hunched over. They don't make a lot of eye contact. They don't look confident because they aren't. They're, just, they're scared. And, and uh, you know, you can understand a lot of that. So we train kids how to appear more courageous than they feel inside. Uh, we train bystanders to act upon what they know and they feel in regard to growing their courage. And in order to grow their courage, we use the, the power of two. Kids are far more likely to do the right thing when they have a friend standing by their side. So we use that in schools uh, across the United States. You know, the word courage appears in Scripture about 30 times, and the word is almost synonymous with strength. When we think of courage, we really need to think in terms of moral and spiritual strength. And if we want strong kids, we must have courageous kids. And courageous people say no to what is wrong. They say no to what God says no to. And bullying is the kind of behavior that God just doesn't think is wrong. We're told, actually, in the Psalms um, that he hates bullying behavior, and we should hate it, too. Right. Yeah. You, you have the, the deal in the book about the Protectors Program, the Theater of Bullies. Won't you tell us something about that? We do, you know, and we describe it as a theater because it's accurate. In order for bullying to exist and to thrive, what needs to happen is it needs to have a conducive environment. So that conducive environment is where bystanders don't stand up. It's where the, that organization, for example, has not allowed for um, anonymous reporting of, uh, of bullying when they witness it. So... This is a theater that the um, attributes must favor the bully and not favor the uh, the target or the bystander. So what we're about is changing the theater. We're about people changing their roles, for example. I mean, imagine, if you will, you go see a play and some of the uh, actors refuse to play their role. And in fact, they play a different role. Well, the play's over. That's what we want to do when we come into organizations. We need people to change their role. Someone who was once a complicit bystander actually stands up and says, no, leave that person alone. Uh, most bullies have never really seen meaningful pushback. They usually blow people over, um, largely through lies, largely through just some really, really bad behavior. Uh, but when you stand up to them, especially in numbers, it can make a uh, tremendous difference. So we want to change that theater. We want to change the attributes to where it favors the target more than it did previously. And um, and it favors that bystander that it, it makes courage cool. Right now, cruelty is currency in youth culture. And we know that through uh, studies. They've asked often middle schoolers who are the most popular and then they ask who are the bullies and the lists are nearly identical sadly so right now cruelty is currency we need to make moral and spiritual courage uh, currency and I'm glad to say that it's a challenge but we're doing it across the nation okay so in that theater you have the target you have the bully you have the bystander and what you're saying is we need to encourage the bystander to come alongside the target 
And if the target can't say anything, the bystander says, because you have several phrases in your book, but stop it. And then walk yeah, away with it, the with the target. Yeah, yeah, and and we're doing it. Yeah, we have a script to follow. We give them a script to follow ahead of time. Why is that? Because it's proven to grow courage. When a person knows what to do before they get into a difficult situation, they're far more likely uh, to do the right thing. The, the the great definition of courage, in my opinion, blue collar definition is doing the right thing. Afraid, you know, the theologian John Wayne said, uh, "Courage is being afraid to saddle up, but saddling up anyway." And this right. is really important concepts to help them, help kids understand that, you know, courageous people feel fear, but they've learned how to master it um, over time. So we help those, we help that little target. Oh, man, they're so, they're so upset, but I'm glad to say that with coaching over time mm-hmm. that you can really fundamentally change how that kid is perceived by their peers. A lot of that is through body language. A lot of it is how, if they're, if they're prepared ahead of time for what that bully is, uh, is probably going to say to them, they're far more likely to deflect it and deflect it in a uh, life, in a, in a very pro-social way uh, for themselves. And then obviously, yeah. you know, I mean, studies show that when, when we see someone in need and it's within our power to help them and we don't help that person, our capacity for courage, sympathy, and empathy decrease in the future. We literally become exactly. smaller souls. And that's what's happening to our kids. We're only like 5 to 8, maybe 12% of bystanders ever help the target. They're far more likely to join the bully. So when we witness someone who is in need and we don't help them, we become smaller people. Well, contrast that to when we do help other people, our capacity for courage, sympathy, and empathy increase in the future. We become larger souls. Our word for that is magnanimous. So it is, it is to be mature in love. So this is an opportunity for our kids to learn how to become more mature in love, to grow, uh, it, it, to, to grow their spiritual formation, and be more like the real Jesus. Yeah, it's kind of like, well, in the Bible it says that love covers over a multitude of sins. And then you think about the Good Samaritan. I mean, you if you don't, if you walk by and you don't do anything, I mean, you don't have love. That, that you know, Martin Luther King uh, had a very interesting take on the Good Samaritan. He said that the first two travelers asked the fundamental question, what will happen to me if I get involved? But yeah. the Good Samaritan had a very different orientation. Uh, he said, what will happen to me if I don't help this person? It, mm-hmm. it goes really goes deep into uh, the difference between the sins of omission and the sins of commission. commission. Uh, Voltaire yep. <laughs> said that... Uh, uh, he said, someday we'll be held accountable for the good we didn't do. I hope that's not true, uh, but right. uh, that so. is a very sobering <laughs> That's a very sobering statement. When we it see is. someone that we could have helped them and we didn't. Right. I know a Vietnam vet who right. uh, had, had killed people in Vietnam, and mm-hmm. the, his, but he says his biggest act of cowardice is when he saw a kid being bullied in high school and he didn't do anything to help him. It haunts him yeah. into adulthood. Yes, that's yeah. right. Well, when we come, we're going to go on break, and when we come back, we're going to have Paul talk uh, on a summarized about the sermon that stopped a school massacre. So we'll be back from break. 
Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Abba Daddy House Incorporated was founded by Myrna Thatcher and Annette Smith. We provide pro bono counseling for those caught in the insurance gap. We also provide basic needs for those who have great difficulty making it from one month to the next. Donations for expanding our business are always appreciated. Remember Philippians 4, verse 3. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel. Visit AbbaDaddyHouse.org. Look for Annette and Myrna's book, Turning the Curse into a Blessing, a Testimony of God's Healing Power. The book elucidates the journey of how Annette Smith gained healing from living as a child and other people. The book is available through Amazon.com in both paperback and Kindle formats. Anyone who is looking for guidance from God and feeling that life is hopeless should read this book, Turning the Curse into a Blessing, a Testimony of God's Healing Power. Find it today. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. You are listening to Abba Daddy Girls Speak Out. To reach our program today, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to abbadaddyhouse7 at gmail.com. Now, back to Myrna and Annette. We have been talking with Paul Coughlin, the author of Free Us from Bullying, Real Solutions Beyond, Beyond, excuse me, Being Nice. And there is in that book a story about, a true story, about the sermon that stopped a school massacre. And we're just going to let Paul kind of summarize what that story is about. You know, yeah, it's one of these um, interludes that we have in the book. I had the opportunity to get to know this person, uh, Richard Lemke. And when he was a senior in high school, uh, he was planning a, a school massacre. He had planted guns and ammunition uh, around the school. He had a date set uh, in his mind. It was February 5th. And he was going to he was going to kill his classmates. They were horrible to him. He was being tripped, had gum put in his hair, put down on a regular basis in the hallways. Uh, he was particularly bullied by a group of girls that just uh, just went so deep into him, and it, it grew so much anger. Him, his very dark person. He became a dark person. He didn't start off that way, but this kind of behavior really hurt him, full of resentment and bitterness. And then a, a friend of his invites him to go to church, and he had no interest in church. He had grown up in a, an aspect, in a kind of church that was very limiting, very particular, uh, rigid is, I think, the term that he used. So he gets invited to church. His first impression is, no way am I going to church. But then uh, Richard found that his friend's sister was going. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's pretty. And he said, okay, I'll go. If, if your sister's there, I'm going. And this is the part that, I mean, there's so many great things about Richard's story. That, uh, But the one that really kind of grabs me is the pastor who got up to speak, he was not a remarkable speaker. Uh, he wasn't, I, I think Richard says he was overweight, maybe a bit disheveled looking, uh, but he got up and he just talked about God's love and his mercy. 
and 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 said that there was forgiveness available and there was hope and help available. And Richard's friend, I believe his name is Dave, um, said that Richard's countenance changed within minutes. He said that uh, Richard's eyes were um, like black. They were almost black, almost soulless at one time. Uh, and part mm. of it, you know, he was miserable and then I, because right. he was planning to kill people, right? And yeah. he said that that went away. And he said that his countenance was amazing. And Richard's life, after that sermon, fundamentally changed for the better. Uh, it didn't make the bullying go away. But by knowing that God loved him and that God was in his corner and God cared about his suffering, do you know that almost every aspect that related to the crucifixion is also related to bullying? So Jesus yeah. was bullied before he was crucified. God knows about bullying, and God can uh, sympathize and empathize with our pain and our weakness going through that. Well, Richard heard that and more. Um, and his life got a whole lot better, and he never really told anyone about the plan they had had. Uh, he went back to the school and got the guns back and the ammunition, and uh, he said that was particularly uh, difficult because he was being followed by a police officer was on to him, but somehow he was able to kind of shake that and put an end to that plan. But he would say, and I know that when I tell stories like this, uh, Christians love these kind of stories, and, and rightly so. These are fantastic stories. But we, we want a nice, tidy ending on them. And then when it comes to ongoing intentional abuse, that often just isn't the case. It, right. it didn't. Richard still struggled. He, he struggles to this day, honestly. When he thinks it back, he, he, is, uh, he, he still struggles with resentment toward what was done to him. And he mm -hmm. particularly uh, is, gets upset when he talks about his teachers. He said that his teachers, he was abused in front of the teachers. And he said that they had done nothing meaningful to help him. And now mm -hmm. as an adult, he still can't quite get over that. And I have been in his shoes, and sometimes the paint on the wall of that house in horror, you know, it doesn't dry the way we think. But I'll tell you, if a Christian kid had stood up for him during school, exactly. and two of them had stood up for him, they could have yep. fundamentally changed the course of his life. Right. Yeah. So that kind of goes to what we were going to talk about, is that forgiveness factor towards the bully. How does, because, you know, Richard's, Richard obviously struggles with that. Um, how, so how do you get there? How do you say, okay, that's, I'm not going to allow him any more control over my life? I'm not going to. Great question. Uh, I think that Martin Luther King, when we look at a overarching understanding of forgiveness, I know mm -hmm. that the misconception that I was given is that it's a one-time thing. Exactly. That you, you forgive it and you move on, or you're not forgiving. Right. Martin Luther King, I think, had a much better approach toward it. He, he felt that forgiveness was a process. And I would think that that is a healthier, more accurate view in regard to what needs to happen. And we have some pretty ominous words from Jesus himself, don't we? <laughs> he says, yes, we do. Forgive, or you won't yes. be forgiven. So it's really important for us to forgive. I personally don't believe Jesus was too shrewd to have this naive notion 
that we just need to forgive the other person uh, because that's just the nice thing to do. Um, I don't think right. that that is what he's ne- it's the main motive behind that. He wants he wants love to be in the world, uh, but I think what. Jesus wouldn't, I don't believe God would say to us that what happened to you wasn't real and that it wasn't true and that it wasn't painful and it didn't justify hard feelings. But I don't think he, I think we're told to forgive so those hard feelings don't poison us. Because exactly. when, the, right. when that pain turns to resentment and that resentment does not find a release valve, true forgiveness we are harmed we are poisoned so i think in i think that jesus wants us god wants us to forgive because he wants more loving place but he wants us free and i think that's the main thing that i get from from that and there's a fantastic booklet called how do i forgive by worthington everton jr i use this i work with the baltimore ravens uh, the nfl team Mm -hmm. and i found pretty quickly that what i need to do but the time that I'm there is to help them with forgiveness work because they remember what happened to them as little kids uh, during, in football culture. There's something fundamentally wrong with football culture, and the Ravens know it, and they know that they want their players to be free from what the memories. And the thing that we have is forgiveness work. I hand out that little booklet, and they're gone like pancakes. It's amazing. Wow. In that, Witherington points out, that forgiveness, think of forgiveness as two scoops on the same ice cream cone. And those two scoops are emotional forgiveness and decisional forgiveness. Mm-hmm. He does not believe, and neither do I, that we can have emotional forgiveness in order, to, we don't have to have that to fulfill Jesus' commandment to forgive. He feels that um, there is this decisional forgiveness, that we we do it in our mind, usually over and over, until we get to a better spot in life in regard to forgiving the other person. If we're required, for example, to like the person who bullied us, we'll probably never get there. Exactly. And if likeness is required for forgiveness, then we ain't going to forgive. I mean, we are humans. We're not, we're not right. Vulcans, and, and we, we have that in it. So I work with people whenever possible is that uh, it's a decisional forgiveness. Obviously, uh, it'd be great to have a relationship if you can with a bully, but bullies can be extremely dangerous people. And reconciliation is not required for forgiveness. But I point out that it is good for us personally when we forgive, because if we don't, the alternative is a slow kind of uh, personal poisoning. Exactly. Well, I point exactly. out, I point out to people that forgiveness isn't for the, the offender, the ones that offended you. It's for you. It's for yeah. your healing. It's not for them, because God has told us we don't have to lay ourselves prostrate for people to walk all over us. It says in Isaiah that we don't have to lay ourselves down prostrate for people to walk on us, and forgiveness is for our hearts, so that we can love and that we can become whole again you don't have to be someone's victim over and over and over to forgive them you just forgive them for your heart amen i never got that memo early on in the (laughs) church and i think a lot of people (laughs) didn't get that memo it's unfortunate yeah so paul just in the last few minutes just kind of tell um the audience where they can contact you um your programs just 
wrap it up for what you want to hear, what pe- people want, what you want people to hear about you. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So we're a, a freedom from bullying organization. We work with a lot of organizations, but mostly schools. Schools have been unfairly saddled with um, having to fix this problem. Bullying is not a school problem. It's a cultural problem. It's a crisis in parenting, largely. Yes. And uh, we should, we need to start there. But we aren't. So uh, as a culture, we're not there yet. We're, we're trying to move the needle there. So we work mostly with public and private schools to help diminish bullying, you know, within those organizations. We help students. We've helped over a thousand students in the last few months publicly apologize for bullying. We'll probably be well over two thousand students this school year alone. Uh we work with parents, we do teacher training, we have curriculum, uh we have curriculum for Sunday schools, we have curriculum for summer camps. So wherever kids gather, we're able to help reduce bullying in those um, in those venues. Uh, if someone's interested in the, bringing the protectors to their community, we'd love to do church uh, events as well. It's our hope that the church would become the tip of the spear against uh, what is the leading form of child abuse in the world. And it's probably the greatest actual form of injustice in the world. When you look at sheer numbers, these poor kids are really being treated unjustly. If there's interest in that, they can go to theprotectors.org. And if you want to join uh, our effort across the United States, you can contact me directly. It's just simply paul at theprotectors.org. Okay. Well, we certainly thank you, Paul, for being with us today. And may God bless you and your work as you continue to work for the Lord to protect his children and our children as well. So, um, you guys can also contact listeners. You can contact us at godsgirl7.com, Twitter, godsgirl7, abadaddy7 at gmail.com. And you can go to our website, abadaddygirls.com. You can listen to our past episodes. And if you want to re-hear this one, abadaddygirls.live. We will see you, would not see you. We will um, be talking with you next Friday. We're working up another show that we don't, we can't announce it because we're not sure. We haven't heard back from the people, but it'll be a good one if they say yes. So have a good week. Again, Paul, thank you so much for being with us. We appreciate the hard work that you're doing. And we have read the book, probably read a couple of more books that you've written. And certainly we're using that material for our kids in our church um, this, this February. And we hope to empower them. We will empower them uh, through that material. Outstanding. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for being here this week. Be sure to join hosts Annette Smith and Myrna Thatcher for another edition of Abba Daddy Girls Speak Out next Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Enjoy the upcoming weekend. 